Welcome to episode 23 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoden after a, I think, what was called by me and many other people, series season-defining series. Um, that may not actually be the case, but things did not go as they might have for the Blue Jays. Stoden, how are you feeling off that Yankee series? <laughs> I mean, obviously not great. Uh, season-defining, yeah, it, that... Uh, there were definitely a lot of the warts that we've seen all season from the Blue Jays uh, in that series. Uh, a lot of the good stuff too, but uh, you know, just not uh, not enough of it. And a tough opponent with uh, some guys, in particular Judge and Stanton, uh, Judge on uh, on Thursday night, uh, with just effortless power, just disgustingly, <laughs> disgustingly <laughs> effortless, uh, just flicking his wrists. It feels like, and the ball goes 500 feet. Uh, but yeah, they they are. Uh, they're a good team, the stupid Yankees, uh, and so are the Blue Jays, but they are they are not in a great spot uh, with not a lot of time to rectify it. Yeah, it, it, I mean, obviously they're not in a great spot, right? You can do it. <laughs> you can do it objectively. You can go with the stat, uh, the playoff odds. I think they're I think thirteen point six percent is what I saw at Fangraphs today as of recording, but. Like, there's a scenario where they're in a playoff spot even at the end of tonight. Like that's how close they are. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. Like asking, you know, the Red Sox and Mariners to both drop a game and the Blue Jays to win. That's unlikely. All those things are going to come together at once. But the idea that they could sweep a series against the Orioles and neither of the other two teams will achieve a sweep is not that outlandish. Like, again, I think that you can fall into the trap of because a situation is easy to envision, you overestimate how likely it actually is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's something yeah. that I've criticized Charlie Montoyo of doing as a manager is kind of seeing very specific scenarios and managing to them. So that's kind mm-hmm. of what we're doing with our expectations by saying that. But I would have thought coming into the Yankee series, my expectation was if they did not win, they were straight up dead and they're not dead by any means. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um you know, it's it's very easy to take the Orioles for granted, as you know we, you know the reason that they're here is that the the Red Sox couldn't take advantage of the Orioles. Uh, so that is that is I think worth no- noting. Obviously, Baltimore's got some guys who can hit the ball. They I don't I don't think they have a lot of guys that can pitch the ball. But uh, but yeah, no, it, it it's still there. It is just uh, it's tougher to envision. And yet, as you say, it could as easy as as early as tonight here on Friday. Uh, move into their favor. We'll uh we'll see. It's worth watching. And you know, had the Red Sox not lost to the Orioles yesterday, uh it would have been less worth watching, I think. Yeah, it would have been yeah, it would have been sort of praying for a miracle at that point. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. are the Red Sox going to lose a series to the Nationals and you sweep the Orioles and the Mariners don't really do anything, you know, that all again, that all could have happened, but that's an even narrower narrower scenario that you're creating in your mind to do kind of mental gymnastics to think the Blue Jays can get in. I don't think the mental gymnastics are that ridiculous right now. Now, again, still much less likely to happen than, uh, you know, any other scenario. And the Mariners are kind of an annoyance right now because Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think for a long time you could just say, well, the Mariners are kind of shitty and eventually that's got to catch up to them. But when there's only three games left in the season, the whole fraud, not fraud uh, <laughs> spectrum becomes less relevant because, you know, you can win any couple games regardless of how fraudulent you are. And the Los Angeles Angels are a truly a pitiful team. I was... Uh, <laughs> they are. Yeah. I was going through their roster today because I was writing a piece on sort of like, who are some out-of-town heroes the Blue Jays can maybe rely on over the next weekend? And we can talk about that a little bit too. But I was going to the Angels lineup to be like, okay, who on the Angels might do something? Might be the Ryan Mountcastle of mm-hmm. last night, but for the Angels. And it's Otani, and that's, <laughs> well, yes. that's it. It's, that is really it. Like, there's nothing going on. That. You know, Jared Walsh is okay. He made my list, barely. But there's not a lot. <laughs> had to pick somebody. Yeah, yeah, I needed another hitter. Jared Walsh uh, fit the bill. But there's not <laughs> a lot going on in that lineup. But oh, now you can flip over to the Mariners, and there's not that much going up in that lineup as well but uh yeah the angels are a tough team to be like oh this is the hope obviously other than otani because he's the guy who can do you know hit two triples in a game or hit you know three home runs and steal a base and all this stuff he's not pitching anymore but even with his bat he's a 
know, he's a difference maker. He's a guy who can win a game almost by himself. But yeah, the Angels are a tough team to count on. The Nationals are are as well. Obviously, they were totally gutted at the deadline. Mm -hmm. But the one Soto factor is even a step above Otani. Like Soto, I'd say, is the best hitter in the game at this particular second in time. So it is yeah. uh he's someone who could produce a moment or two that gives the Red Sox pause. If you know, if the Orioles can do it, then a Juan Soto led team can do it. I think yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. Um you know, the Jays, did they split? I was just looking it up. Did they split with the Angels in August? You know, the the, the the Angels can win baseball games. And the Mariners, like you say, they're very, very frustrating. I called them terrible to somebody yesterday because they did not like my my use of the word fraud. And then I kind of thought of it. I mean, that run differential, which has sort of been the big thing, it's cre- it's creeping upwards. I, I was looking, you know, today I just wrote a piece about, you know, about last night's game and about uh, about what's coming here on Friday. Uh, Marco Gonzalez is going for the the Mariners, which is you know not great news for the Blue Jays. He had a terrible first half, but has I think his ERA in the second half is like two eighty eight. Like he has been back to uh, the guy who's the best pitcher on the Mariners, which is uh, uh, which made me think, which made, it gave me pause about the fraud narrative, which uh, which could very well be true. But I think they obviously have been playing better in the second half. I haven't looked it up, uh, but I would suspect that's the case. And and they're you know obviously doing well and lingering around. Uh, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put money on them at this point. I certainly wouldn't put the money on them to to go very far in the playoffs if they, you know, if they get there. But uh, uh, but they they are effective spoilers, and and the, you know the Blue Jays are indeed being spoiled uh, by them at the moment. Yeah, and they may well be spoiled by the Orioles too, as effective mm-hmm. as the, you know the Orioles have kept the Blue Jays in this race in some ways, and the the games they took against the Yankees, and then now the Red Sox. So. You know, I'm sure Blue Jays fans will be furious if the Orioles take a game from them here, and that's what ruins their season. But you know, they wouldn't be here without the the heroic efforts of the Baltimore Orioles. So <laughs> you know, let's not let's not put too much antagonism towards them because yeah, you know, that that team has helped place them there. When we when we think of the series with the Yankees, is there anything that makes you? I don't know. I think it's it's easy to look at three baseball games and then kind of conjure a grand narrative of like this showed what was wrong with the Blue Jays or this was emblematic of why they couldn't quite get there did you have any feelings uh of that nature with this series or was it kind of uh you know you play a good team usually you either win two or win one and this time they won one uh there's a little bit of that but I I think maybe not just from this series but overall especially over the you know the last uh, you know, after the big winning streak, uh, how things have fallen apart on them a little bit. Um, I just keep coming back to the bullpen, right? Has been just the problem all along. And even though they have now sort of, you know, the cream has risen to the top and they, you know, Nate Pearson was great last night. Julian Merriweather looks like a guy who, if there was a month of the season left, he would, you know, he would be, you know, ratcheting up the leverage. But it's just, it's so tough. You know, last night, uh, you know, Robbie Ray, I, I I wrote a little bit about it. I don't know about, you know, the the early hook could have come for him you know if the Jays had a raise like bullpen uh and a more raise like manager perhaps they would have been a little bit more proactive uh in that sixth inning which could have averted disaster but uh but they do not uh and and, and more I think it's more on the bullpen than the manager you know Ray has been real bad uh third time through the order which you know they should know uh but you know you had Simber who pitched two nights before you had Mesa who'd blown a save. He's a lefty with uh, with Judge and Stanton coming up. Not really an option. Uh, Jordan Romano felt something in his arm. He still got you know pitched the the day before. I don't know if it was a save situation or not, but he you know uh, he's also your closer. You're kind of saving him around, saving him. So you eventually you know you have Trevor Richards, but you know there there's not much else in the bullpen that you really want to turn it over to uh, when you have your guy in a Cy Young race on the hill. Uh, and that, as we've seen, and they've done well with it and, and not been burned as much as they could have, but they definitely, you know, compared to the start of the season, especially as, you know, as the bullpen just sort of sorted itself out and as the stakes got a bit higher, uh, you know, we're pushing starting pitchers uh, a little bit longer and a little bit longer, uh, and it bit them in this one, uh, and I think they did get away with it a lot, but that's, you know, that's something that maybe wouldn't have to bite a team if they have more than four guys they can trust, several of whom, you know, were just pitching and are pitching every day. Yeah, I mean, Simber's the perfect guy for that spot in theory. You know, the way he keeps the ball in the park, the way he makes it hard on right-handed hitters. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of criticism coming for this particular moment. 
I understand why. Like the third time to the order thing is interesting because I feel like it's something I've been thinking about and talking about for a while, but most people have not been thinking about and been putting to the side because they're like, Robbie Ray's amazing. But then when something <laughs> goes wrong, uh, then it's like, oh, they should have talked about this all along. But they've been pushing Ray, like you said, for quite mm-hmm. a while. Uh, and they've been living dangerously with that. And it is because. It's because of what's in the, the bullpen. It's because of what is the viable alternative. I think if you asked, you know, Charlie Montoya, would you like to pull Ray in that spot? I think in a vacuum, the answer would be yes for him and for the team, like in terms of the third time to the order, in terms of the lefty against these two big righties. Uh, I think that that's pretty clear. But the problem was that the, the alternatives just weren't there, the alternatives they trusted. Now, should they have trusted Nate Pearson more? Sure, the way he pitched, he justified mm-hmm. that later. But coming but into not that, before, yeah. yeah. But coming into that outing, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty on that. Although I did like Pearson coming into the series because of how well he's done against right-handers, even when he struggled. But still, I don't know. I think if I was sitting in that manager's chair, I probably, you know, I would have left him to start the inning. I would have the home run from Rizzo. I probably would have left him for one more hitter, and then he would have given up the home run to Judge, and then they, I probably would have pulled them then. And then I still would have lost. So like, (laughs) well, yes, like Uh, I, I I don't, I think that he, you know, because the bullpen has been shaky because of the factors you talked about there uh, and because of how great a season Ray's having, leaving him in for one batter past Rizzo, that's not a brutal offense as far as I'm concerned. And it didn't go their way. I probably would have gotten rid of him at that point. But ultimately, those runs didn't matter anyway. So I don't understand why people are kind of obsessed with relitigating it. Yeah, it, it's true. Well, and I guess well, the thing is, it's just they they didn't even have. I mean, Richards got up. I, I was I wrote about this in the piece that you you know we're, we're recording like literally moments after it was published, so you haven't read it. But uh, I timed it from the time that Dan Schulman is like, oh, Pete Walker's coming out. It looks like somebody's getting ready in the bullpen. That was the meeting after the Judge home run, uh, and it was like it was less than two minutes from that moment when when uh, Richards hadn't even started throwing yet. A few seconds later, Schulman notes that there's Richards throwing. Uh, it was less than two minutes from then until Stanton is walking to first base. So I don't even know if that was enough time. That, that's not a lot of time to get a guy warmed up. So had that been happening before that, maybe you could have avoided the Taurus home run. But again, like you say, uh, they still would have lost, or but it would have you know it would it would have changed everything. I think obviously, also it would have changed everything is if that ball from Vlad had gone one inch higher and not bounced back into play, and also it would have changed everything is you know the the call from Marvin Hudson on on ball two to Rizzo, which sort of changed that at bat. You know, it's that's that's the sport that's the sport we're watching and loving, and that's sort of that's why it's it's so intense and horrible at this time of year when, when it's like. Oh, they just got to sweep the Orioles. It's like, well, dumb stuff happens all the damn time. And that's sort of why 162 games filters out a lot of that noise. Uh, but not all, three games is, not all of it. <laughs> not all of it. Not all of it. The Mariners <laughs> do exist. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so uh, it's, a, it's a weird spot. It's not a great spot. But it is at least, uh, you know, an excuse to watch another Mariners game. <laughs> I do find it weird, like you mentioned the the call in the Rizzo bat, and you're right about that, but I find it interesting how much people want to reconstruct a bat. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's unique to the Blue Jays fan base, but I think back to the Ben Revere at bat in 2015 and the bad call, and he would have had 3-1, and instead he had 2-2. He's like, are you that confident that Ben Revere would have done something 3-1 against Wade Davis? Like, Ben Revere's not a great hitter. And then there's the flip side of this is like Rizzo's really good. Are we a hundred percent confident that if that strike call doesn't happen, it's going to be a good outcome for Ray? Like I understand how the odds change on those things, but it feels like people treat them as certainties that like, oh, this one striker ball went the wrong way, therefore it changed everything. And it might have, but it also might not have. Like we never know those things. And also bad calls happen all the time. Like Springer had a call where he should have been struck out. I don't know. It seems like a it's yeah. a bit of a selective memory exercise when we get <laughs> deep enough into the balls and strikes. And I'm I know in the race series in particular, there were some umpire like those umpire scorecards came out and they really favored the Rays. It mm-hmm. can happen, but you know people are just looking to place blame around. And the reality is they lost this game relatively handily, uh, and the Yankees were the better team in that game. And that's harder to accept sometimes. But I think that that's. <laughs> That's kind of what it was. You know, you're right. Vladdy might have had another run put on the board. Maybe that affects how they manage the next inning, yada, yada, yada. But 
it's hard to watch this series and be like, oh, the Blue Jays got jobbed. They were the right. better team. <laughs> no, that, that's totally true. Uh, though, uh, you know, the umpire stuff, you're, you're right. And I think, you know, the reconstructing of at bats and assuming things afterwards after the fact is, is a bit much. But, but you know, the you can look at the numbers of what, you know, where what hitters do or what specific hitters do when the count's 1-1 versus uh, 2-0. Uh, you know, there is an advantage there, but it's, you know, it's whatever percentage points it is, it's it's not as huge as, like, that does change everything. There's still plenty of opportunity to screw up in a bat when you get to, to 2-0 or to get a guy out when you get him at, at uh, 2-0. Um, so, so yeah, that was I, I think Higashioka getting that O2 <laughs> hit. Oh, Guy's a God. monster. Yeah, that's that's just that that whole thing is absurd too. But you know, uh, I, ultimately you're right. Yeah, I don't the the Jays, Jays cannot feel aggrieved by this series. Uh, as unfortunate as it, as it was, uh, as much as the Cy Young had sort of like fallen into Robbie Ray's lap after uh, Cole was not great, uh, he went and just they neither of them wants it at this point apparently. <laughs> It is actually a pretty bad, and um, again, this is not necessarily popular opinion because I know p- listeners of this podcast want to see Robbie Way win the Cy Young. For what it's worth, I think he will. Um, I still would probably give my vote to Garrett Cole. We don't have to go down that road again because I'm established on that. Um, <laughs> but it is it is not a good year for the AL Cy Young. Like the performances that Ray and and Cole have put up have been good performances, but in other years they would not be Cy Young performances. And in the National League, if you look at you know what mm-hmm. Corbin Burns has done, uh, you know obviously he didn't make it through the through the season healthy and wasn't a candidate. But you know what Degrom was doing when he was healthy, what Zach Wheeler has been able to do, like. The the AL does not have a particularly good, you know, Ray could win this with a sub four war by fan graphs and we can debate what the <laughs> what the right war to use is and yada, yada, yada. And just being that guy, I've got a piece on that, too. I just put one out on the kind of Cole Ray comparison. Uh, but to see a guy with, you know, kind of a FIP in the high mid threes win the Cy Young is a bit jarring, especially because it's not some year where offense is just taken off or anything it's just no one in the AL has kind of reached that level of dominance you'd expect yeah it's true I mean health is another thing like Rodon's picked so well uh but missed a bunch of time and and you know uh the post-pandemic year maybe that's a factor that the that guys just haven't been as healthy um but yeah no I mean Jose Barrios is gonna get votes and he's been <laughs> great but it but it is also it is jarring it is jarring and that and I think that you know uh, I mean, this is sort of typical of any recent year, but like, uh, I don't know if, if Ray overtook Barrios now for the uh, the lead in uh, innings pitched, but uh, they're still, they, they're both finishing underneath 200, which, you know, those guys are rare and rare, but it wasn't that long ago that, you know, you, you at least get a few or at least get a couple. Um, but yeah, that durability uh, and the, the third time through the lineup thing, you know, most teams seem to recognize that that's uh, that's dangerous waters to play in. But uh, most teams have a bullpen that's not four guys. So, yeah, it's four guys. But then that often means on a particular day, it's two guys. Yeah. So that's why it's important to have, you know, you like to have six or seven guys. You, you can really have one, would. You can have one guy who's absolute garbage, who's like a rule five, maybe not Luciano garbage, but like really... <laughs> Really, quite bad. Who you're hoping to develop for the future? I can accept holding one bullpen spot for total low leverage because there's some development reason. But generally speaking, it's good to have six or seven guys with some level of competence, which is, I think, a lesson that they may learn heading into 2022. Uh, yeah, I think so. And uh, you know, I, I I don't advocate being like the Rays in a lot of ways, but they have like it feels like they have 15 guys that they you know they get rid of them all when they <laughs> when they become arbitration eligible and they just have guys with you know when they lose when they're out of options because they want to just churn through them and you know pitch them until their arms fall off and then bring up another clone and that's uh uh you know that is, that is a, a poor way as a human to to like construct a for a labor force as part of your organization but also it is an effective baseball strategy that's uh tough to reconcile but they're they're very good at what they do uh sadly the difference between the rays and the blue jays is that if like the rays ty tice and kirby sneed is good you know what i mean like the guy <laughs> yeah. that they that's just kind of hanging out in triple a and 
like those guys who you're like, oh, we'll throw it at the wall and see if it works. Like they're, you know, they've got a sub three ERA at Buffalo. Maybe it'll work out. Like those guys for the Rays are just like come up and they're incredible. And then then they can trade them for someone else who's even better somehow. Uh, and I don't know if the Rays are the Jays are going to figure that out. I think it's probably more likely that they might come to the conclusion they're going to throw some money at that problem, which is probably wise. And they brought, they came close to doing that with Liam Hendricks. I guess we don't know exactly, you know, where their offer landed compared to the White Sox, but the fact they had a significant interest in Hendricks and that they actually did get Kirby Yates, which is something that's so easy to forget. Um, yeah, they did after he failed his, his physical with Atlanta, but yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, which may be a red flag, I guess. Yeah, I mean, hope I don't think they'll do that again. If I had to guess on like pro- things that the Blue Jays will learn from 2021, I don't think they're going to spend this offseason signing guys who failed their physicals. Maybe that's overly optimistic on my part. Yeah, no, I think well, and I think that's the Rays example is right. You, you know, the the Jays at the big league level have done very well uh, with guys, you know, on small deals, on minor league deals, with an invite, that sort of thing, and and they, you know, they. They put together some names this year that just really, you know, not just it's not just Yates. You know, Chatwood looked real good for a month and then was awful. Brad Hand, everybody knows how terrible that was. David Phelps got hurt. Sorry has been, you know, not the guy that they expected. You know, they 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 tried to sort of cobble it together this year, and it, and and if like even a couple of those guys or even one more guy <laughs> had worked out, or if Pearson had established himself, you know, a little bit sooner than it seems like he is now as a as the guy that we thought he could be in the bullpen. Uh, these last, you know, these last very crucial, you know, this run of 10 games or whatever, where they've, they've lost more than they should have, uh, could have been, uh, could have, could have been different, uh, and sadly not, but yeah, I, you know, throwing money at the problem, uh, that's money I want, I want to see go to Marcus Simeon, uh, Simeon, as I always, I always say it wrong because it's, it's Simeon, uh, and Robbie Ray as well, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm operating from a world where they can do both of those things, which I <laughs> I know that they can, whether they will is another issue. Yeah, it is, you know, we're talking about these incredibly thin margins, right? And it is thin enough that you can say with some level of confidence, like if X reliever was decent, we'd probably be in a different spot. Or if they could have gotten, you know, this is a, a bit of a silly one because I actually don't think that highly of him as a pitcher. But if David Phelps had been healthy, like maybe that's enough. Maybe that's worth a game. And we're a game yeah. back now, right? Yeah. Like that's that's how close it is. And so it, it is a bit unfortunate that that type of agonizing needs to go on. Now, again, we're speaking from a, a moment where things are kind of as dark and as close to the end as you're going to have. So, you know, this weekend could go a very different way. Like I remember earlier in the season, right, we talked about that series with Oakland. And if Oakland if Oakland came into Toronto and just bombed them, Toronto is essentially going to be out of the wild card race. It's quite a long time ago we said that. We thought that, you know, the meaningful baseball thing could be totally over. And we talked <laughs> about that completely genuinely. And I think we were coming from an honest place. I don't think we were overly pessimistic. Uh, that was kind of the situation that they were in. And so we are now speaking again from one of these negative places. And it's conceivable that if you're listening to this podcast, you know, next Monday or on Sunday at 8 p.m., I don't know what your schedule is, listener. Uh, it's possible <laughs> that this podcast sounds pretty absurd because the Blue Jays have swept the Orioles and uh, the Red Sox continued to fumble their way down the stretch. And the Blue Jays have lined up a date with Garrett Cole, a guy that they've been pummeling for the last couple of times they've had a chance. And uh, the whole kind of navel-gazing on what might have gone differently is uh, is pretty silly. But, you know, the stats <laughs> would say that there's an 87% chance that it's not silly at all. That's true. But but also, yes, well, we will have many months to, uh, to dissect all the various ways that the Jays could have got that extra game. Which will be an agonizing thing, and, and uh, uh, not a task I look forward to. But months uh, of there, agony, there listener. Many. Please tune in, <laughs> subscribe, like the podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Fascinating off season, really, because of because of who they're losing and um, you know what they have and how much financial flexibility they should have, and then also you know what whatever the hell happens with the CBA. 
But again, we have <laughs> we have many months to to talk about that. Well, for for a team that is as good as the Blue Jays, and whatever happens, you know, over the next few days, this is a good team. They're gonna be. I believe, I think, you know, there's obviously the, the possibility that they re-sign Ray and Semyon. Uh, I think that that's unlikely, very unlikely they get both. I'm not sure they're going to get one. It's going to be, but they do have a lot of money to spend. So it's going to be a good team, but a good team that looks very different, which is kind of mm-hmm. unusual because normally a good team heads into the offseason and kind of makes one ad or they're looking to promote their prospects or they make flip one major trade or something. It's going to be kind of, this is going to be a comparison that might be a bit jarring. Uh, it's going to be kind of like the Padres of the previous offseason where they were a good team coming into the offseason before this year, but they remade themselves significantly anyway. Uh, and I think that's going to happen with the Blue Jays. I think the Blue Jays are going to be remade significantly in 2022. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be better. We, you know, the guys they're losing are pretty ridiculously good, potentially. But it's going to be... I know. I remember a lot of Blue Jays off seasons going in thinking, "Hey, they're gonna, you know, get a couple of relievers and a bench guy," <laughs> and right. that, that ain't what we're looking at. So that is, you know, for the ent- from an entertainment value perspective, for the content, as people say, uh, I think it's going to be a good off season. Yeah, and I think next year, you know, Barrios, Manoa, Pearson, Cindergard, Ryu. I think that's a good rotation. I think it's going to be good for them. Kind of in that vein, I wanted to play a bit of a, a game. I don't know if this is a game. It maybe needs more rules to be a game. Anyway, a something with you. Mm-hmm. Because Sunday is the last, you know, the last game of the regular season. Chances are it's the last game the Blue Jays play this year. As we said, not a guarantee. So I wanted to ask you, yes or no, whether the following players are the last is their is it their last game as a Blue Jay? So some of these are free agents, and then some of these are other roster players. The free agents are the obvious ones to ask, but also, you know, no guarantee. So I just want to go down the line. We'll start with Simeon. Yes or no? Last game is a Blue Jay. Uh, probably yes. Yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather that not be true, but, I mean, just the odds are definitely... There's going to be a lot of, pe- a lot of teams out there looking for him and, and not necessarily looking for... Uh, a middle infielder in the tier of you know the young guys who are going to cost you know twice as much or or several dozen million dollars more or whatever it is. I also the shortstop thing has been eating away at me for most of the season, and then he was pretty explicit about it when asked about kind of the second base record stuff, uh, bringing that yeah. into the front <laughs> of the public consciousness. So he's the one I feel pretty confident on. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I was going to say Robbie Ray, but no, we'll we'll save him for later. Let's say the, the other thing I will say, you know, about Simeon, Simeon, I really got to keep get that straight. Uh, but maybe I don't because maybe he's got three games left. Yeah. But <laughs> but um, uh, you know what? I forget what I was about to say. So we can move on. All right. This is. Oh, you know what? I, no, I do know what I was going to say. I mean, I think somebody's going to pay for his best year. It's probably the thing. Yeah, and so I think I can understand the Jays maybe not wanting to be that team. He's also, I think, one of those guys who might get that, you know, well-respected, good clubhouse guy. This is exactly the culture person we want to bring in, type of premium. He's actually, I think, he might be a good fit for one of those teams who wants to buy a year early, um, on mm-hmm. their competitive window because he could be sort of a tone setter. Which is interesting to say because I think the impression I get in the Blue Jays clubhouse is he's a little bit more of a, I wouldn't say non-entity is unfair, but like quite quiet in the context of this boisterous group of players. But yeah, I do Leads th- by example. Yeah, but I think he is maybe a guy that you bring in a year ahead of when you're, you're really ready and the young players can see him as a, yeah, he's a great lead by example type of guy. So I did, I did see somebody suggesting he would be a great fit for Boston the other day. Yeah, a lot of Yankees have, fans do have are, a shortstop. are getting yeah. attached as well. Yeah. I'm noticing. So I would, if I were the Jays, I would, I would overpay just to stop that from happening. Okay, number two. I think this is pretty simple. Corey Dickerson. Do you think Corey Dickerson has any utility or last game as a Blue Jay? See, he's one I might say no. I think they really like Dickerson. Um, and I, I, you know, that was, I, I think Ben Nicholson Smith had it when, uh, when the trade happened, like that they had been trying to get him, 
in the off season and and it's a, he's been a guy that they've targeted. I mean, all it took was them to offer Joe Panic apparently <laughs> and also get Adam Simber in the deal. Like, that's such a ridiculous trade to look back on. Um, but he, I don't know. He's a guy who, you know, we saw the bat last night, uh, a couple good at bats last night on, on Friday. Uh, you know, the choking up. The, he's a guy from the left side who just does something that's a little different. I know diversifying the offense is a thing that Jay's uh, kind of big on. He's a guy who I could see them them uh, looking into bringing back. Yeah, I find myself agreeing with that. I would have. I don't know how long ago I would have said this as an obvious no, but he has been a little bit impressive lately and not Im- impressive is the wrong word almost because it's not like he's hitting bombs or doing anything dramatic but he's quite solid across the board he doesn't strike out that much uh he makes decent contact his fielding is actually all right like he you know you don't want him in center i think they'd be happy <laughs> for him to not play center ever again but he didn't embarrass himself either like he moves fairly well and i also think he's not a player that other teams are going to be inclined to pay I don't think he's going to hit free agency and people are going to be like, oh, that's my corner outfield solution, Corey Dickerson. (laughs) Um, So I think they could get him on kind of a hybrid bench player, but plays a decent amount because he's left-handed type of contract. It would not shock me if he's back. I wouldn't wouldn't hate it depending on, you know, all of the other moves that they make. This is the silliest one. Gerard Dyson. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... It's been great. Been I, I don't think he will like play for the Blue Jays next spring, but you know, maybe they'll bring him back at the end of next year or something. Maybe I wouldn't rule out the possibility, but I'll go with the no. Yeah, I feel like if you want someone to be Dalton Pompey, you've got to have like one super fast guy in your minor somewhere, and you can just do that if you really want. Um, yeah, that was kind of weird that you know they outsource that to a guy deep into his 30s. Yeah, bit weird. Yeah. Um, Steven Matz. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, there was a time in August when he had a great month. I, I was looking at this yesterday. I don't know if it was in yesterday's piece or today's, uh, but Matt's, uh, <laughs> Matt's has an ERA uh, above four in every month except August. And that's really like making his numbers shine. I mean, four is not, you know, uh, obviously, as we were talking about, Cy Young guys are in the mid threes or uh, <laughs> at least their fifth is, uh, you know, uh, that, that's not the worst thing in the world in the AL. And, and I think he's got some positives and, and it could be a factor of, I don't know if he's a Pete Walker guy as much as Ray seemed to be, but like, like that vibe doesn't sort of emanate from the TV, but I obviously that's all I can base it on. Um, but, and, and, you know, his success has been sort of, it has come and gone this year. Uh, I could see him being a guy that they look to bring back. It's going to the, the rotation is going to be very interesting. Uh, obviously there's that big hole with, uh, with Ray. There'll be, you know, Stripling is still around. Uh, Unfortunately, or or fortunately, depending on which month, uh, of the which version of Stripling uh, the Jays are going to get, he's probably still more of a bullpen guy. Uh, you know, it's it's real easy after the last couple performances to dream on Nate Pearson going back into the rotation. I mean, he won't be uh, max effort throwing a hundred, which is potentially a problem. Uh, but there's still, and you know, you, you hear the old schoolist of old school, Pat Tabler being like, you know, I walked by him and it just that he, that's just, you'd, you'd never see a pitcher body like that. Like in the blue Jays, like he just looked, he just, he's got the good face and he looks like a pitcher. And that's, I think that's hard to shake. And I think that that, that is going to keep him being in the frontline starter potential plans. Definitely a better uh, face than Steven Matz. No debate. <laughs> Fair. Uh, but, but so I'll, I'll say no on Matt's, but it wouldn't shock me if they brought him back, I guess is where I'm rambling to. I would say no. And the reason I'd say no is not because there's anything wrong with having Matt's in your rotation. I think Matt's is actually a fine, I think he's a very good five because fives barely exist as we talk about all the time with the way pitchers get injured and whatnot. I think he's a okay four as well. The thing is, there are just a lot of guys that reside in that tier approximately and I think the Blue Jays are just going to go for whoever in that nebulous kind of okay tier is the best value. And so is there a chance Matt's is demands contract-wise fall into that, you know, most value? Yeah, but there's so many other guys that are in that area that I have a hard time, you know, specifically nailing down that Matt's is going to be that guy. I think they want to shop for a type of pitcher there as opposed to, like like Matt's is just not a guy you zero in on. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, but it's it's going to be interesting just with opportunity, right? I mean, because you can only 
you can only sell guys on taking your money. Only so many of them, right? You can't you can't go and get like four or five guys when you already have, you know, three spots at least locked down. Uh, and you do, like I say, kind of want Pearson to 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 sneak in. You probably you probably do. Um, so so they're limited in what they're going to be able to do. So I don't you know I don't know if Matt's fits that or if they might even want to go you know you know below a, a tier below and sort of you know get not in, if not Ray get some you know you know, get a get a, a number one kind of guy or a front of the rotation kind of guy and then spend your money on. Lesser guys who will take smaller roles and, and, and you know, among them uh, will provide you depth and, and a five somewhere out of there. Yeah, you might have that situation where you're like, we're coming into spring training and here are the four guys that are going to compete for the five spot and it's going to include Stripling and it's going to include Thomas Hatch somehow. Uh, and then it's going to include some lesser free agent signing. I can see that being mm-hmm. the case. The last guy on the list is obviously Robbie Ray. Is he coming back? Unfinished business, man. Yeah, uh, I I don't know. Uh, I I think I'm I'm inclined to say no. I don't want to say no on him or or Simeon, but I I'm gonna say yes on Robbie Ray. I think I I just think that this is a uh, it's a good fit for him. It seems obviously this year has been great, but I wonder how you know how worried the Jays are that it is. You know, it's just gone so well. That it's not, as we saw, you know, I, you, I'm not trying to color my opinion of Robbie Ray based on one start, but, you know, there are there are still some Robbie Ray things that go on with him, even though, you know, he's found his command. And I think he can be really, really effective. I don't think you're, I don't think you want to pay for uh, best pitcher in the AL, you know, expecting that going forward. But I, I could see them definitely uh, bringing him back. Yeah, I think that this is probably the worst conceivable time to invest in Robbie Ray from a value perspective. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I could. Well, you already got. You already got the best possible time to invest in. That's in true. Him, which was last year. So I. Know, I think there. I don't know. The the easy thing is always to say no for the same reason that there's a lot of different guys available and is he going to be the one they see the most value in? Uh, but that's boring at a certain point. So I'll say yes as well. Like you said, uh, he likes it with Toronto. He likes it with Pete Walker. They like him. They let him do a pretty unconventional thing, and it's gone well for all parties involved. So. And they got money to spend, and they're going to want another starter who's the, at least yeah. middle rotation. So I let's let's say yes. I think the the other thing. I mean, the other thing is though, you know, there's Barrios who only have, has one year left before he hits free agency, and if you're having to spend money between the two, I think you take Barrios. Oh yeah, I would. I think that you would have, want to sign Barrios too. I I guess that the. It shouldn't have to be either or. It shouldn't have to be either or, and I think the thought would be that Ryu is coming off the books, kind of, by the time mm-hmm. that those are really getting... I mean, there'll be that one overlap year of 2023 where you'd have those two and Ryu on the books, and that would be pretty heavy for the rotation. But I think maybe you could stomach that with the knowledge that Ryu is coming off the books the next year and then hopefully have some young pitchers to fill that gap a little bit, although young starters in the Blue Jays system, maybe not that many of them that you would count on. Uh, bonus possibilities, guys who are under contract through next year, but could it be their last game as a Blue Jay? Uh, Guriel Jr., we talked about this before. I know that he ended so strongly, but there's still issues with his fit defensively, how that limits the team. Is he a good enough hitter to justify some of his uh you know, fielding quirks, the fact that he plays a non-premium position, also just the fact that his contract has a lot of value on the trade market and you could maybe use it to solve some other problems elsewhere. This sounds, again, this is the most absurd time to say that because of what we've seen from him in September, but if you look at him over the course of the whole year, you know, he wasn't a crazy valuable player and I could see them wanting to kind of clear those corners a little bit. Yeah, I I think that that's I mean that's always sort of been in the back of my mind and the the you know the fit and the lineup diversification you know it, the easy thing to do is to move him out I think uh, because like you say the contract is so valuable on the trade market uh, but obviously you know we saw and this is a thing he's done a bunch you know I think every year he'll have a streak and and the fact that it happened sort of at the end of this year almost leads you to believe that it's going to be 
uh, you know, oh, well, now that's a new normal kind of a thing. You know, if it had happened in the middle of the year and then he sucked from in September, you would you'd have different thoughts, I think. But but yeah, he I, I think they also obviously they care and pay attention to culture a lot. He's obviously a guy that fits with, with what they're doing is, uh, you know, is is a beloved teammate. Uh, is, I don't know if that's enough to keep a guy around. I, I you know, I. It depends, I guess, obviously, on which problems and and how well trading him solves it. But uh, but I think that's got to be on the table, and I think that's you know that's the thing that Jays fans and and again, we're, there's still three games left. They still could be in the playoffs. We're doing this a little prematurely, but you know that that's something we're going to have to think about and and sort of grapple with in the offseason is that this could look like a very different team, and like you say, a very good team still, but a very different looking team next year. And and uh, you know, uh, so I I think maybe still yes on him. But it would not surprise me if it's a no. Yeah, I think my gut feeling is that he's still around. But it's a question that if I'm the Blue Jays front office, I'm definitely asking myself, um, can I use this piece to solve some problems elsewhere? For example, if they think they can use Guriel and something else to get a decent pitcher and then not spend the money in, on pitchers and then use that money on infield, yada, yada, yada. Uh Okay, this is just wish casting for the Blue Jays uh, <laughs> fan base who hates him so no, much. Sadly, Grichuk but still Randall Grichuk have to mention him. Uh, is there a point? Is there a cut bait point with Grichuk? I thought I actually liked some of the things he did in 2020. He was cutting down his swing a little bit, and he was doing that through the beginning of 2021. And I had some mild optimism, but then it's just been a tire fire since that time. 2019 was brutal as well. It's not like you make tons of money, and but you, he makes enough money that you can't trade him. That's the thing. But is he worth you know? Is he worth a roster spot? I, I guess the reality is that he is because he's a better fourth outfielder than a lot of teams' fourth outfielders in theory. Um, I just wonder if there's a chance where they're just like, it, this is not a good situation for anybody. Maybe we just move on. But I don't think I, it's so. I don't think I, I don't think it's I think well they liked him enough to give him that contract. He's obviously not lived up to it. It's not a huge burden. Uh there's only a couple years left after this one, which is still a long time, but the cup date point is maybe still a year away, which means having to roster him next year if they can't move him. I think moving him, yeah, is gonna be tough. It's like you're you're eating money and maybe giving up uh you know, a guy you don't want to give up just to get somebody to take most of the contract. That's, you know, not you have to weigh that between you know what you lose by not by by having him on the roster, which I I think that they probably like him enough that that's not going to happen. The one scenario you know that we could all cross our fingers on, and maybe depending on how you think about what whether this should be in the CBA or not, is like if a salary floor comes in, ooh, then Randall Grichuk becomes real interesting to a lot of teams. I think he's a great uh, <laughs> NBA trade chip. To be honest, yeah. like if this were the NBA, like Randall Grichuk would be immensely valuable for putting together a trade package and baseball not so much you know and and maybe you know maybe Shapiro and Atkins saw that coming maybe the, mm -hmm. maybe that's what that was the whole point of the deal I don't think so that'd I be a hell of a 3D chess move <laughs> I'd tip my hat to that that would be pretty damn impressive yeah uh but but I mean and I don't I, I don't know what's possible or what's not in the CBA stuff but I know that there have been many you know many ideas floated uh, not necessarily by the parties involved, but just by observers, and uh, and that's one that's out there. The potential of a salary floor. I don't know if them MLB. I think they did. I think that was one of the things. That yeah, they MLB it was trying to use that as like a supposed concession to push a yeah. more punitive luxury tax, and I just don't think the players were interested in that at all. <laughs> They're like, oh, the luxury tax that is a de facto salary cap. Yeah, no thanks. Um, but yeah, I you know I think he'll probably still be around. I don't you know I, he's not, he's not a guy where you're going to eat what's left on the deal just yet. I think that you you know he 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 can play some defense. He can you know he can take that. He could be the 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 right-handed Corey Dickerson for you, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Last one. <laughs> last one is is uh, I don't know. Maybe it's an easy one. Just one of the catchers is one of the catch. So I guess the the soft uninteresting version of this is that Reese McGuire is somehow gone. The uh, the more intriguing version is that Alejandro Kirk is part of a trade uh, used as a trade trip. I think Danny Jansen is around kind of no matter what happens. Is, mm -hmm. is this the last time we see one of these catchers in a Blue Jays uniform? Uh, maybe both. 
honestly. Um, or, you know, honestly, may, and maybe maybe Maguire is more likely to stick around than Kirk. I, I You know, I, they like Kirk. I like Kirk. Everybody likes Kirk. Uh, but we're, the industry is just catching up on what the Blue Jays have always liked about Gabriel Moreno, right? And he's made it to AAA now. Uh, he's, you know, a top 10 prospect by a lot of folks at this point already. You know, he, he didn't do it for very long because he broke that, he broke his thumb in July, maybe even June. Like he, he missed a lot of the season. Uh, but he looked so good in double A. Uh, and he's a guy that the Jays, you know, they're going to, he's definitely going to be in the big league camp. Uh, you know, I don't know about the service time stuff. Like, uh, they'll probably send him to AAA at some point, which is why I say maybe McGuire sticks around and, and is sort of the placeholder. But yeah, if I'm the Jays, uh, as much as, as much as Kirk is a delight and as much as they, you know, sent a guy, uh, you know, a nutrition, the team nutritionist to help him, uh, to help him eat better and, and get in better condition last year. You know, they've obviously put some, invested a lot of resources in him. Uh, that, you know, that's not. That's not entirely selfless. He's still that that helps him become a better asset on the trade market, and he's just a guy where I think, yeah, he he's. I think he's shown. I I, I would be perfectly happy going forward with him as as you know a tandem with Danny Jansen, even though you know they're not left right. But uh, but Moreno exists, and I think that they're that that's the one everybody is like. That's the guy you bet on, and uh, and that means that Kirk might have to go. Yeah, I I think I agree longer term. In the short term, I think they're, like you said, I think Moreno goes to AAA at least at the beginning of next year. There's no guarantee that he goes off there. I just think getting rid of Kirk until you're really, really sure that Moreno's the guy you're turning it over to is a bit premature. So I could see them moving Kirk in the right time. I think that time would be sometime during 2022. So I am going to say that Kirk is seen again after Sunday, presuming the Blue Jays don't make the playoffs. That's fair. That's fair. And it's very, yeah, it's very interesting what they're going to do with Moreno. Because he could, you know, I think he could come up, but as as a team that that has aspirations to win next year, um, maybe maybe breaking him in that way is not what you want to do, but also maybe breaking in a catcher, you know, having him not catch your <laughs> your whole rotation until midway through the season isn't a great way to do it either. So uh, it should be interesting. We'll see what he does in fall league too. I assume he's going to be one of those guys. Uh, and if he if he lights it up, then uh, I think you know the defense is is uh, uh, is not a concern there. So all right, before we wrap things up, we'll do a little. Weekend series preview. It is the season-defining series part two, uh, (laughs) not because of who they are playing. They're playing the Orioles. I do not have a lot of notes for this. I'm going to be perfectly honest, and that's because we all kind of know who the Orioles are. You have to sweep the series. The Orioles are very bad. They've got all lefty starters right now, so you. I think that means kind of a a little bit of a Tay Oscar watch. He's sort of their big lefty masher Gurriel Jr. too if he's all right uh Springer has been that way in his career maybe kind of less so this year in particular and then John Means is kind of a thing you have to be aware of on Saturday uh less of a thing since the the sticky stuff cracked down less of a thing but he was great before (laughs) that and then he was Mm -hmm. poor after that and then he's been really good lately in September so like a lot of the pitchers have seemingly had that pattern where they've adjusted or figured out a way to be sneakier whatever the case may be um he's someone that is sort of the the most likely character i think to put a big wrench in all of the blue jays hopes and dreams but that is not a guarantee by any means like john means at his best is not necessarily some unbelievable untouchable ace but you know compared to some of the pitchers say the red sox will see facing the nationals or the mariners will see facing the angels he might be the best pitcher that one of these teams faces this weekend yeah, I, I think that's true. Yeah, um, it's it, you know it, it could go all very awry for them. I mean, it it should be fine. It's the Orioles. It's very interesting. I think every pitcher start. I don't know who's starting for the Orioles. It's still TBA on MLB's uh, site. But Thomas Ashelman, who's a right-hander, is going to uh, either start or get bulk innings. But if it's not him, and they have a lefty, uh, then I think all three Mar- like the Mariners, Red Sox, and Yankees games will be started entirely by lefties which is notable uh though not maybe necessarily interesting um but yeah no i mean john means is definitely the one to to watch and also the the orioles can hit a bit like 
you know, not not everybody, not up and down the lineup, but you know, Mount Castle is decent. They they've got they've got some power there, and uh, if the Jays are having one of those days where they that they have a little too often, where you know nothing seems to be working offensively, uh, a couple home runs can really uh, can really put the screws to them, as we saw last night against the Yankees. Yeah, I I'm inclined to think that they're gonna bust out a little bit here offensively, and that's not against the Orioles. I yeah, I mean it's a hell possible. it's a hell of a hot take. Uh, <laughs> no, I think that they're gonna do it offensively. I think that they're it's gonna happen. Um, yeah, it's it's just a big scoreboard watching weekend. That's what we're looking at. You're really, you know, can one of the shit teams beat one of the better teams that you'd prefer would lose? I think a lot of it could come down to that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's an anxious place to be. But, you know, thanks to the Orioles on Thursday night, uh, the Blue Jays are in a situation where this is all still somehow. I don't think they necessarily even deserve it after the way they played against the Twins and Yankees. Uh, But somehow it's all (laughs) still attainable. And it's all still, as you said, worth watching. And uh, we will be tuning. Sunday, Sunday, every game starting at 3 p.m., so... Yeah. Buckle up. Could be wild. Yeah, it could be wild. So, um, yeah, so that's us for this week. We will talk to you guys later on. I'm sure we will be here to either look back on the season that was or look ahead at the playoffs to be, whatever the case may be with that. So we look forward to coming at you next week.